And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Thursday, February 10th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is our first base preview. We were going to continue the position preview series, taking a look at a position that tails off quite a bit as you move into the back half of drafts, but that could change this year in light of one of the less ridiculous things that was said by Commissioner Manfred earlier in the day on Thursday. It appears that both sides, the Players Association and the league, have come to a point where the universal DH looks like it is very likely to happen in 2022, which is great for us because it takes a lot of these fourth and fifth tier first baseman among other players and creates playing time opportunities for them. And without universal DH, we would have, I would say probably at least a half dozen or so players that have interesting enough skills to want to draft them, but not enough playing time to feel good about it. So a small, small win for a select portion of players at this position. And just philosophically, like I, I understand people that like the sanctity of the game and, and like the NL version of the game uh, and do enjoy uh, strategy. I guess there's slightly, there's some, there's a little bit of the strategy in terms of when to pinch hit for your pitcher uh, when he has to hit. Um, those things are all true. Uh, however, just the reality on the ground in terms of developing young players and how players play in uh, everywhere from high school to college and all the way up is that they have DHs. Most high schools have DHs. Most colleges have DHs. Like most of the time, a pitcher stops swinging the bat in his mid-teens uh, uh, for good. And so then now you're asking them, you know, six, seven, eight years later uh, to pick up a bat. And that's why pitchers have never been as bad as they've ever been. Uh, they've never been as bad as they've been recently uh, with the bat. And uh, the pitcher's OPS last year was 250. Mm. Starts with a two. 250. Nice. That's what you want to see. 250. That is not fun. And, and, I, and I also hear some people be like, well, you know, uh, the rarer something is, like a pitcher hit, like everyone loves that Bartolo Colon homer. <laughs> somebody, somebody was like, I don't get it. He's fat. He hit a homer. <laughs> Just a guy hitting but, a home run. What? Yeah, what's the big but deal? Uh, that was a kind of a cool moment. And I remember when uh, Kevin Gossman this last year in San Francisco won a game with the sacrifice fly, and there was this whole story about how he went down into. Um, the the hitting cage and actually turned the machine up to 100 to prepare for his at bat uh and he managed to but see the, like we're celebrating a sacrifice friggin' fly dude. <laughs> like, you it's know, not great it's just like yeah 250 ops so uh i'm happy about it i think uh you know it'll be sad uh to to leave those pitcher at bats behind but most of them were terrible 
Yeah, I I think people who will miss the strategy of the National League are the same kinds of people who would you know miss the potholes if you fix them on the 101. Oh, I, I like the strategy of avoiding the potholes and not wrecking my car driving on the highway. It's like, no, fix fix the potholes. They're they're a problem. They're they're bad for all of us. Yeah, I was I was talking a little bit with Granky about this, and I was like, about potholes. You were really good, huh? No, I was I was like, you're a really good hitter. You've got like a 560 OPS <laughs> <No>. <laughs> for a pitch. You know what I mean? But, I was uh, excited for a moment because I thought Zach Grinke and I had a shared love for the condition of the 101 in the Bay Area. <laughs> I, I avoid the 101 at all costs. It's well, like strictly 280, man. It's like off-roading at 70 miles an hour with a lot of traffic. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very dangerous. Somehow it's like more dangerous than an icy highway in Wisconsin. Not sure how... How they managed to pull it off out here, but truly, well, anyway, truly a first baseman, <laughs> first baseman. There are a two in tier one, Vlad Jr., who is an early first rounder. I'm going to count Freddie Freeman as a tier one first baseman, even though he always slides a little. Every draft I'm in, the only exception I think I know about is the draft that Al Melchior was in maybe a week or so ago. He took him at 10 overall. And I was just kind of stunned. I was like, wow, no, no one ever actually takes Freddie where he's supposed to go. He's always the guy that's available five or ten picks later than where he should go based on an overall value. But let's start with Vlad Jr. for a minute. It's just a simple philosophical question because the projections point to him being easily a 30-plus dollar player. They confirm him as a, a early first-round pick if you're using the auction calculator. I have no issues with him as a hitter. I think the power we saw with the average, the run production, all of that is... That's who he is. I think there's this overwhelming fear that if you don't get steals right away, even from your first round pick, even if it's only a dozen steals, that you're setting yourself back quite a bit. Are you comfortable building teams with Vlad Jr. in a snake situation where you're sitting somewhere in that top five? I mean, there's, you know, you could get too far into the weeds and look at his post and splits and, you know, say he's more like a 290-35 homer hitting guy. But I would suggest that, you know, steals aside, uh, he's got every other category locked down so hard that he is worth it. You know, I think Freeman is like that to an extent, but, uh, you know, Vlad Guerrero is younger. Uh, there's no risk. Uh, there's no risk of him signing with a team that doesn't have a, that has a bad park that doesn't line up with his skills. We know where he's going to be next year. We know that he's got excellent play discipline, hits the ball really hard and added some loft. And all those things mean that he's going to have a great batting average. So, you know, uh, just like compare him to Jose Ramirez, right? Because they get drafted near each other. Uh, you can say to yourself that I haven't lost anything batting average wise with Jose Ramirez and I have more steals. However, you haven't gained anything batting average wise. And that's something that Vlad Guerrero does for your team, which is just gives you a really nice, uh, you know, batting average spot to begin with. And it gives you a lot of things you can do later. I mean, if you just compare, if you just pair Gallo and, and Vlad Guerrero, you know, or uh, who's another low batting average guy that might have, or Jazz Chisholm. Jazz Chisholm and Vlad Guerrero is an awesome duo. You know, there you get your steals back and you and you pad that batting average. Yeah, I think it kind of comes to how rare is uh, a 300 hitter in this era? Like All the projection systems have Vlad Jr. just above the 300 range at 311 last year. I think it's actually harder to find a 300 guy with that sort of power and 
run production than it is to find someone that can steal you have 20 you, bases and play every day somewhere else in the draft. Have you looked at uh, how many how many players are, are projected for a batting average over 300? It's got to be like three or less. <laughs> well done, dude. It's just it's never Soto, that many. Guerrero and Turner, and that's it. Right. That's what. How many how many people are projected to have over twenty five saves? Mm, I'm gonna guess seven. Mm, four. Four. Oh come Just on! By the bat, Acuna, Turner, Martin, Mondesi. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you. Maybe it is bigger for Steamer. Let me look at Steamer real quick. Nah, Steamer. Stolen bases over twenty five. Uh, he's got six, seven. He's got seven. There you go. He and he puts Mullins, Tatis. Uh, in there as well, and Merrifield, and Marte. Well, that's very interesting, very interesting. But I would say either way, it's more than three. <laughs> so no reservations here about Vlad Jr. in the top five in that range. Don't worry about missing out on some steals with that first pick. Yes, your second or third hitter can make up some of that ground for you. You're putting a, a great foundation together uh, by getting Vlad as your first bat. With Freeman, you mentioned the uncertainty about where he plays. Atlanta, the new ballpark they built there, has been a little funky in terms of how it's played over its lifespan. Right, I think year one versus year two, there was a pretty big difference, which is why park factors are so important to look at over a multi-year stretch. And we've talked about this with Britt before. It's It seems like he's going back to Atlanta. Like there's a more than a non-zero chance that he does, in fact, leave and ends up in Los Angeles or, or somewhere else, right? But... It also doesn't seem to me like a a bad team is going to go out and plunk down the money it's going to take to draw Freddie Freeman away from Atlanta. So even if he leaves, it seems like there are paths for the lineup support to be similar and possibly for the park setup to actually be better. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I, I'm uh, I'm looking at this right now. Uh, Braves is seventh most hitter friendly, um, and it does augment uh, some of the things that make Freddie Freeman great, like singles and doubles. Um, and the only place where it doesn't augment is triples, which is not not um, one of Freddie's specialties. Uh, but uh, what are some teams that he could sign with? There's no team that he could sign with that ranks better by Savant's uh, traditional park factors, I, unless he signs with the Rockies. I mean, that's a crazy idea. <laughs> uh, I guess the Red Sox could be in Sox, play. Yeah. If the, yeah, the Red Sox could be in play. Reds aren't signing him. Orioles aren't signing him. I doubt the Nationals are signing him, even with the MLDH. Doubt the Phillies are signing him. Um, what are the, you know, Dodgers are uh, 15th uh, most hitter friendly, but they augment homers. So maybe it's just a slightly different looking uh, line from Freddie Freeman where he hits a career high in homers, but his batting average is a little bit down. You know, that's a possibility. That wouldn't be uh, a terrible outcome for him. Have we heard uh, any other team involved? Uh, the Cubs would be a surprise one. I think that would be maybe a bad move for him. That would be a bad outcome for park purposes, for sure. Uh, the Padres surprising us all and and going way past the 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 uh, the luxury tax, but I, I just don't see that. The Giants coming out of left field. Yeah, I think Boston would be one of the positive outcomes that hasn't come up in rumors. I also know they're probably living pretty close to the tax right now too. So similar problems to a team like San Diego. Really seems like he's going to stay. Right. So assuming he stays. <laughs> I mean, this is a position, as we're going to go through this episode, it 
it does tail off quite a bit. Like I don't have I don't have a case against Freddy. I think it's it's weird that I don't end up with him on more teams because he does a lot of the same things that Vlad Jr. does well, and he's done it for a very long time, and yet I think more people than not find a reason to just go do something else, to take a, dif- a different position, maybe to get their first pitcher, to try to find someone that steals bases, right? Everyone always has an excuse not to draft Freddie Freeman as their early or mid-second rounder. Yeah, by auction value, uh, he ends up, let's see here, 3rd, 6th, ninth, 12th, uh, 15th, 16th. Uh, his ADP is 19th, so that's actually really nailing it because you're going to have three or four pitchers ahead of him. Um, however, that also includes uh, Sal Perez and JTL Riomuto, who are not normally drafted ahead of him, and that's really dependent on having a two-catcher league. Um so maybe he actually is drafted a little bit behind his auction value. But at $27, let's just round him to 27 Right at 27 you've got Ozzy Albies, Bo Bichette, Manny Machado, who I think a lot of people are taking over him because A, he steals bases, and B, he plays third base. Um, Aaron Judge is close. I don't see him being picked over him. Kyle Tucker is projected for less and gets picked over Freeman. Um, and then in terms of starters that are projected by the bat to be over $27, uh, you have Wheeler, Scherzer, Burns, Cole, and DeGrom. So it's actually five uh, pitchers ahead of him. So um, there's a lot of reasons to, to not take Freeman. But, um, you know, after you, get, uh, after you get past Cole and Burns, um, you know, I think there's some, a little bit more injury risk with Scherzer and obviously DeGrom. Uh, I would want to take a bat in the second round if uh, if Cole and uh, Burns are gone, I think. Um, so then it would be against uh, Albies and uh, who, do, who do you think I'd be choosing against? I, I've chosen Devers over uh, Freeman Yep. Uh, near the end of that round. That's, that's a thing. I don't thing. know if I would. I think I might choose Manny Machado over him. I mean, it's like 30 cents in the auction calculator, you know, and I'd rather have some steals, I think. I don't know if there's that much of a difference in steals. I mean, Freddie had eight bags last year. Machado is, mm. is getting close enough to 30 now where you could say, well, okay, sure. He's still going to run might a little. He only get eight bags next year. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if we can confidently expect a lot more. A handful of bags for 10 to 15 points in batting average. I think I'll take the batting average. I think Freeman's the slightly yeah. better option. I think the, the power looks like it's a tick more stable too. Projections though, it's interesting. There's a a higher projected home run total for Machado pretty much across the board. So there's the other little difference between those two guys. So I don't know. I, I think the, the part of the answer to this, too, comes down to what happens in, in Tier 2 and seeing this group of four guys. I'm calling them the four horsemen for no real reason. I have no idea why I did that. I just the four somethings, the four horsemen, apparently. Because the apocalypse is coming, and those are the four horsemen. Yeah, I mean, it could be at this point. I'm not ruling it out. I'm also not panicking. I'm like, well, hey. <laughs> we got pretty close to the apocalypse in 2020, so let's... <laughs> yeah, we had a brush with it. We have some practice. <laughs> so the the four players I'm referring to, Matt Olson, Paul Goldschmidt, Pete Alonzo, and Jose Abreu, I mean, there's really no signs of, of those guys slowing down. Two of those four guys had pretty Big improvements to their strikeout rates last year. That's Matt Olson and Pete Alonzo. Let's start at the top of that group. Olson goes a little earlier than the rest. There's obviously the possibility that he gets traded out of Oakland. Whether that happens you know, post-lockout before the season begins or mid-season, 
we don't know for sure. But the fact that he made those changes already and has already had this year-over-year stat cast run that, that really fortifies the power he's shown gives me a lot of confidence in him as a, a steady early rounder. Like he's he's taken the the concerns we had about his batting average three plus years ago, and he's done a really good job erasing those by bringing the K rate down to sixteen point eight percent in twenty twenty one. Yeah, in expected expected extra base hits per plate appearance, the best first baseman in. in of all of uh, no, sorry, Guerrero's up there. He's fifth in base. <laughs> that guy. The the best of the uh, four the four horsemen is Matt Olson, um, and then uh, there's a name that I will reveal later, uh, and uh, then you get uh, Muncie Freeman, Hoskins, Alonzo. Uh, so you pay you pay your first baseman to be a powerful bat, and so that's interesting that there's five first basemen in the top twenty five by expected express hits. Uh, but that also makes you kind of be like, oh, I can get it later. I can get it later. I like uh, Olsen Alonso a lot. I love the K-rate improvements. I love that Olsen uh, might play somewhere else next year. Um, I think that the you know he's got a really good situation now. And then if he gets traded to the right place, it's an even better situation. Um, you know, for his power, Oakland's a, a power suppressing place because it's so cold. And I don't expect that Olson's going to the, the Oakland's going to be very good next year in terms of runs and RBI. But if he ends up in San Diego or someplace like that, he will have a better situation around him. So uh, if we're going to rank these four, and you're talking about what was it, Alonzo, Olson, Goldschmidt, and Abreu, I because of age and some regression that's already seen in the numbers, I'm going to put Abreu a very easy fourth. Um, and maybe not even in the tier. I'm not sure. Um, I go Olsen, Alonzo, Goldschmidt. And that's that's how ADP is going. But the if there is like a value in there, I think it might be Alonzo. Because 11 picks after Olsen, and I have Alonzo and Olsen as very comparable. I think what's going to happen, and I've seen tweets and different responses to pretty much every Pete Alonzo pick on draft boards. It seems like a lot of people are in agreement on Alonzo being undervalued right now, which means he won't be undervalued for long. It's going to be Olsen versus Alonzo as a straight up toss up as a late third rounder and a 15 teamer. I think that's where we're He's headed. also, it's interesting to be a late third round bat uh, because what you will see is if you took a pitcher in the first two, then you can take Alonzo. If you didn't take a pitcher in the first two, there's a lot of pressure on taking a pitcher in the third. Um, and so you'll have to really do what you kind of did in, in your most recent draft where you're like, hey, YOLO, you know, I'll take a pitcher later and, and take Alonzo in the third. You know what I mean? So I think that's probably why there's some pressure um, on his ADP there, especially since he's not a steals guy, right? So it's we- a little bit weird to like, let's say you've gone, let's say you've gone pitcher, pitcher right? And Alonzo's there. You're kind of like, well, I'd rather take someone like Mullins or something because I need some steals, right? Mm-hmm. And if you didn't go pitcher, pitcher, you're like, God, I really need to take a pitcher. In fact, I think this is kind of the theme for the position, right? It's like, don't forget first base. First base can actually get scarce and it does get kind of ugly late. Don't forget it and don't always be like, well, I need a pitcher here. Well, I need steals here. Well, you know what I mean? Because if you do that, you look up in the middle of the draft and you'd be like, oh, wow. And I did that recently in a draft. I ended up with Walsh and 
Schwindel as my one and two. And, uh, you know, it's okay, but it would have been better if I got an Alonzo earlier. Yeah, if you look back over the last three seasons combined, nobody in baseball has hit more home runs than Pete Alonzo. He's got 106. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> He's got a 106 to 89 edge over Olsen. Olsen, I think, of course, missed some time with a wrist injury. So there's about a mm-hmm. little less than 100 plate appearance gap or a little more than 100 plate appearance gap. But that's not enough to fully bridge that difference in power. Batting averaging that span, Alonzo, 256. Olsen 257 they're very comparable in terms of overall value I think for me the thing I makes that makes me want Alonzo over Olsen we have that improved K rate we already have a better well, line both have improved K rate right they both have it so you're getting you're getting that skill from both of these guys but you already have the better supporting cast for Alonzo right you're not betting on Olsen being traded you know like you're not betting on Alonzo being traded he already has the better situation yep already in hand and just a little more power output to this point so that to me is why if i'm late third round early fourth round and they're both there i would actually take alonzo straight up over olsen the gap is very small i think it's those two then goldie then abreu Uh, goldschmidt i think was really an early oatmeal pick a year ago and it still kind of feels that way now like i i don't I don't really understand what he has to do for people to feel good about drafting him. So, I mean, the average last year, 294. He's hit 290 or better every year since 2013, except for 2019, his first year in St. Louis. He hit 260 that year, which didn't ruin you because he still popped 34 home runs. In every full mm. season since 2017, 30 or more home runs. He even stole some bases again last 12 year. for 12 is a base dealer. So if you get that again, great. That's a bonus. Maybe you only get five or six, but you're, you're getting probably getting five or six more than a lot of other people are getting from their first base spot. So best barrel rate of his career, best hard hit rate of his career. He's 34. So I guess there's, there's that working against him compared to Alonzo and Olsen, but it's not a good year. I mean, 34 is, is old in baseball, right? But is that given what we're talking about skills wise for Goldschmidt, is that enough reason to be less than enthused about him at that price? I mean, it is interesting. He's the only uh, first baseman in the top 12 that is projected to have any value in the stolen base category. Yeah. I mean, he's not he's not a he's not a bad pick, man. I I just he's not sexy. And I and I hate to admit some bias there, but like uh, you know, you kind of want to go sexy in your first four or five picks. It kind of feels like I'm taking an old man here. Um but if there's any softness to it, like, you know, he's got right now a 49 ADP according to Fangraphs. Um, just a, like two ahead of of, AD, of Alonzo. I bet you Alonzo is going to move up and Goldie might move down. Um, and if, you, if you're talking about sneaking Goldie in the fourth. I like it. Then I start, then I'm starting to say, ooh, I just got, you know, a good batting average and eight steals for my first baseman in the fourth round it's just it, like in the third round oh man i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to think about this taking the pitcher in the second or the third uh because there seem to be a lot of values in collecting in the bats in the third round i didn't like the pitchers that were there at the three four turn from a late round position i'm in a slow draft right now 15 teams 13th position was urias there for you he was no he wasn't there See, i got really lucky and got urias in the third and one but I doubt that luck is going to continue. I think Sandy Alcantara was the 
best on my board, and I I couldn't do it. I got him in my top ten. So you'd probably do that in that spot, but I think I would have. And who'd you take instead? Oh, in let's see. Who did I take in the third? Mullins. Mullins was still there. Oh, but that's a nice steals package right there. I was surprised that he was still there. But hey, you know you got to play the board. I want to see it is. that pitching staff when you're done because you haven't taken. You took your first starter in the in the tenth round or ninth round. Yeah, tenth round. Tyler Maley. That's 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 old school, man. That's how I used. That's when I first got into to uh, into fantasy. That's how I won my leagues. I said I will I will not take a starting pitcher until the tenth round. But here's the thing about strategies: whether it's too early closers or pocket aces or waiting on pitchers. I think the best strategy is being able to play multiple strategies, being prepared to adjust to whatever combination of things that are happening in your draft plus your draft position and, and just reacting and adjusting mm-hmm. to that. I'm not going to sit here and say you should always wait on pitching because I don't think that works for everyone. I don't think every board falls that way. I think there's there's a lot of, of middle ground for how you should a- attack any particular roster build. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind i'm I'm not not the guy that's going to make 12 teams this year i don't draft any pitchers in the first seven rounds other than closers that's not not quite what i'm i'm after looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Jose Abreu, you mentioned some concerns. Maybe that he doesn't belong in the tier. A little bit of a batting average slip compared to Paul Goldschmidt. Obviously, doesn't give you the bags that Goldschmidt did either. But another 30 home run season. Over 100 RBIs, again, 86 runs scored, a a good accumulator, and only a year older than Goldschmidt, too. So it's not like you can't look at Goldschmidt and say, well, he's just, he's a little younger, so I'm okay with it. He doesn't, what all the guys ahead of him have uh, is either, you know, they're balanced across, you know, like Goldie, where they like give you steals and batting average, or, uh, or they're, super contributors at the power stats like Alonzo and uh and Olsen. Um what really happens to me with Abreu is he's the beginning of the blah first baseman. He's the beginning of two sixty five thirty, you know? Which is fine, but I you know, if I loosely defining two sixty five thirty, I feel like Bell can get there. I feel like Walsh can get there. Hoskins is not gonna get there in the batting average, but he's gonna get past it in the homers. Uh there's another name that I shall reveal later. <laughs> You're really kicking that can down the road, aren't you? <laughs> I don't wanna reveal my sleepers too early in the show. Fair, fair. Well, here's the thing. Okay, so I, I don't disagree with the idea that you can from level or tier three end up getting 
very similar production to Abreu, but I think the confidence level that Abreu stays mm. there versus some of the other guys, like that's the separator. You're, you're paying for that longer track record. You're really not seeing any underlying skills warts of, of another drop, right? I don't think Jose Abreu comes out this year and hits 230. He's still hitting the ball very hard. I think that's how I think you get in trouble that way, dude. Really? Yeah, I do. I do. Because I think we have better stats now that can move faster and tell us things about people, you know, quicker. We're not just looking at batting average and, and, you know, and, and Homer totals. We can, we can look under the hood and our projection systems are better these days. And if you just look at the projections, you can see from Hoskins up to Abreu, it's a difference between $14 to $17.50. So $3.50 difference. And Abreu goes in the 70s ADP and all the rest of them go north of 110. Yeah, Abreu's on an island for for his for like he could easily be part of tier three or tier two because no one else goes right near him. But it's a forty you're you're paying a forty pick premium for the name, and it's not like Josh Bell doesn't have a track record, you know. And at this point, I would say Jared Walsh's track record is good enough. Actually, I know it's really small compared to Abreu's. I get it, but in terms of the stats that we need to see, barrel rate, reach rate, that sort of stuff. I think Walsh is, and, and Hoskins has established himself. It's almost, you know, so. I, I think the. And the other guy that I can't name has really established himself. <laughs> you're making this such a, a big deal. And I think people are going to be like, oh, it's that guy? What a surprise. <laughs> yeah, right. so, tier three, the group here, we're talking about Ryan Mountcastle, DJ LeMahieu, who's already been featured on a couple of episodes, Jared Walsh, you know, mentioned already, Cronenworth still qualifies at first base. CJ Crone is a part of this, which another year in Colorado makes him quite a bit more interesting. Josh Bell, Reese Hoskins, Ty France. Um, Tyler Stevenson has first base eligibility. You're really not using him there. Uh, right. Joseph Votto and uh, Maxwell Muncy. Ding, 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 ding. No one is surprised. Like, not a single person <laughs> listening is surprised. Shut up, Eno. Jesus Christ. Joey Votto had uh, a better extra expected extra base hit rate than Freeman, Hoskins, and Alonzo last year. Joey Votto, if you've seen a graph of Joey Votto's, we should I should have pulled that before this. If you can see a graph right now of Joey Votto's hard hit rate, stat cast hard hit rate, it's just the weirdest thing you'll ever see. It's it there's an old man who just changed everything, used weighted bats, uh, changed his approach to the plate, and is now in the YOLO portion of his career where he's just gonna swing hard and hit try to hit homers. And I love it. And I think it's worth buying. The other name I really like, the other two names I really like in this tier, uh, three names are Walsh, Bell, and Hoskins. So uh, Votto, I think you can wait on, but Walsh, Walsh, Bell, and Hoskins, I think are younger guys, a little bit less age risk involved. Um, I don't really see a a problem with all those guys. In fact, I think they're under projected because uh, they are all projected for you know 580 to 600 plate appearances with NLDH now. Uh, you know I think that Hoskins and Bell are even safer than that for more plate appearances. And at this point, you know Pujols is gone. I don't know why we're projecting Walsh for 583 plate appearances. So uh, I like all those players in this in this uh, tier. I think of this group. I'm generally not in on Mount Castle because we've talked about the changes at Camden Yards as a right-handed hitter, especially that could cost him a handful of homers. Terrible, terrible plate discipline. I mean, just awful plate discipline. Yeah, there's just some 
real life flaws in his approach that make me very skeptical of, of him being year over year the type of consistent player he needs to be to make value at this price. Walsh, I would guess that the concerns would just be that maybe he loses some some starts against lefties or something. They just throw somebody else out there to take some of that playing time. Maybe that's the the playing time leak. But they're not flush with bats. It's not like you look at Anaheim and you're like, oh yeah, those guys have extra bats. No, they certainly don't have that as they are currently built. Definitely missing some depth there. I think I think Josh Bell is fascinating because we knew when he left Pittsburgh, that was a pretty big park upgrade. And I would say kind of similar to maybe the way that Paul Goldschmidt season started, it didn't look great on paper at first for Josh Bell. By the end of the season, he was back to being the guy that he was at his best in Pittsburgh with the only real difference being um, 27 homers instead of 37 homers. But when you think about, you know, year of the rabbit ball and start adjusting for that, I guess that's not that much of a surprise, but a 53.5% ground ball rate from Josh Bell. And it's kind of amazing he accomplished what he did with that still being the end point. It was down at 44% when he hit 37 home runs a couple seasons ago, by the way. He's a solid player. There's there's no question in my mind that he's going to play nearly every day. Uh, I think he's almost the, one of the, your, your last safe accumulators. And there's mm-hmm. much less batting average risk with him than there is with Hoskins. But even with that, I think a lot of my builds in the early rounds are affording me enough buffer and batting average where I generally prefer to take Hoskins. Hoskins. Yeah, because I think I'm getting a surplus in power and I can take that little hit. Maybe it's a 20-point difference in batting average between you know Bell and Hoskins at season's end. I'm comfortable taking that because I think Hoskins still has a shot to pop 40 homers. Yeah, and I, I do think that uh, with Bell, we've kind of seen the up and downs. We know he hits the ball hard, but we also know he hits too many ground balls. And then we had that sort of tantalizing year where he didn't hit as many ground balls and he hit 37 homers. And we said, oh, he's figured it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We threw the parade and we were wrong. So, you know, I, I think now we have a good idea of who Bell is um, and we aren't going to necessarily project him for a 40% uh, ground ball rate and 35 homers and so on and so forth. But with Hoskins, I just have, you know, it's a little bit smaller of a track record. I think that we may not have seen the very best season from him. I think he could actually calm down the fly ball rate a little bit and benefit uh, from, uh, you know, closing a hole in his swing. Like if he was able to do a little bit more with the high pitch. um, and, uh, And so therefore we could see, you know, a year where, the K percentage uh, is better where the BAPIP is better because he's not hitting 50% fly balls. So, you know, I think there's still a possibility for like a 275, you know, 35 homer season from uh, from Hoskins, you know, that kind of where he puts it all these different skills together. Um, we'll see. You know, there certainly is the risk of the other way of going 220 with, you know, 28 homers or whatever. Yeah, I think the the only thing I'm really curious about with Hoskins once we get to the point where players go to whatever spring training is this year is he Hell. is he completely fine coming off of uh, the surgery he had for a problem with his lower abdomen? I don't know if that was like a sports hernia or what exactly that was. I haven't seen anything that confirms what they fixed, but it's been long enough where I'm on the side of optimism just in terms of a typical timetable for those types of injuries for him to come back and be at or near a hundred percent. What's nice about Walsh is he kind of sits in between all of these where he, yeah, he has a little bit of a strikeout rate. Yeah. 
he hits a little bit too many ground balls, but he doesn't hit as many ground balls as Josh Bell. And, you know, he may not strike out as much as Reese Hoskins. And he does have quality batted balls where he's now hit, you know, for a 12% barrel rate basically every year of his career. So uh, if you if you don't like the the risk that's embodied by Hoskins' fly ball rate and strikeout rate or, or Bell's ground ball rate, Walsh is kind of your uh, your in-between pick. How comfortable are you with Crone as your regular first base option if if you miss out on these guys right a run happens and Walsh is gone maybe Bell's gone Hoskins versus Crone I mean is that more of a what have I done so far do I need do I need the average or do you think there's a clear gap there where where Crone is draftable but maybe the mid to back part of this group the risk for me is health with Crone now you know they have knee issues I guess he I'm a little surprised that he had 142 games last year because I owned him and and I felt like I maybe he just let me down near the end of the season or something where I just felt like I was missing him at times when I needed him. Um, And, you know, that's coming off of a 52 plate appearance 2020. So, you know, I I do think that Crone is okay, but if you do Crone, I I think you really want to have a, a solid corner infielder that's a first baseman and probably a utility guy as a first baseman so that you can move everybody up. You know what I mean? Like, you need to have basically a backup plan. It's wild. Like, he's got one of the like, tighter distributions of projections when you look. I mean, I think 28 to 30 homers almost across the board, zips a little lower. Uh, but the averages, high 260s, low 270s, 70 runs scored, 80-plus RBIs. And I guess the quality of the lineup around him in Colorado could be something that holds him back a little bit. Yeah. Sneaky bad. But yeah. he fits in this range. Ends up being projected for exactly the same number as Jared Walsh. But who's going to play more? Who do you think is more likely to play more next year? Mm. Wow. I think I'm on the Walsh side of that one because yeah, I think so. Crohn's never got to 600 plate appearances before. And even when he Ever. even when he gets to gets to the power as consistently as he does, the, the runs and RBIs relative to the power output are or light everywhere he's been. It's not he's just been on bad teams mostly. Yeah, the Rays in eighteen, the Twins in nineteen, the Rockies last year. I guess those are not in all bad teams. Maybe they just don't put him high in the lineup. They just everyone sort of thinks of him as like an extra piece. Yeah. I mean the difference for me though, like if he didn't have half his games at Coors Field, I probably wouldn't want him at this ADP. In this tier at all. And yeah. somehow I almost wonder if he's slightly underpriced relative to how stable he should be in that ballpark. It's uh he's a little bit higher in like a best ball league, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I think you're right. I think this is really want some of those weeks. A lot of these players we've talked about so far, because they play every day and they don't have a lot of long term health issues, you're not as worried about backing them up with another first base eligible player early. I think you do have to make that sort of adjustment for Crone. And maybe you have to make that for for Hoskins too, given the abdominal injury that we we mentioned. Maybe Votto given the age, but yeah, and if you, you're taking that flyer on Max Muncy with the elbow injury he's got oh. right now, you're going to want to back him up too. So Hardest guy to figure out where to draft right now. Because by projections, they give him 525 plate appearances. He's the best in this tier other than Mountcastle, you know? Yeah. This group kind of runs out in the pick 160 or so range, and usually we run from 100 to 200 overall with our third tier, but I had to break this into two groups because we've got this other cluster, which looks like a a dead zone for the most part, or maybe it's a space with some opportunities, but that includes Anthony Rizzo, still a free agent, 
Alex Kirilov, who I believe had a wrist injury last year, Trey Mancini, Jonathan Scope, and Yuli Gurriel. And in my head, I'm kind of like, Kirilov's exciting, so if I were taking a shot, I like him out of this group. Rizzo, in the right circumstances, might still be a good accumulator, so I can talk myself into him. Mancini gets dinged like Mountcastle does. I think it's interesting that Mancini's cheaper, this much cheaper than Mountcastle. I think given the cost difference, I'd actually be more comfortable with Mancini. And then Scope, I keep worrying that as that team gets better, he's among the players that starts to get pushed out playing time-wise because uh, of his limitations. Especially with the, the, the specific names that they could call up. I mean, uh, Torkelson pushes Candelario to first. Are they, are they serious was about playing, playing at Torkelson at third? <laughs> I just, um, well, either way, it gets crowded uh, at the corner. Torkelson will will push Scope off at first, and then at second, who is he battling? Willie Castro, Isak uh, Paredes, Goodrum Paredes. Goodrum's gone, I mean, it, so there's one one fewer. Where do you go? DFA or non tendered? Wow, I missed that. It uh, second base is where you put put people so maybe he just gets put there and he's fine and that's all right but also with second base eligibility you're just more likely to buy him thinking about second base i think which could be fine a little bit interesting in draft and hold because uh, he has cimi uh so really he's technically he's a four position guy that's that's kind of interesting it's nice to get a lot of playing time for a, a reasonable price he doesn't know my teams. He doesn't have the, the sort of plate skills that I like. Uh, Comerica is where barrels die, go to die. So um, he doesn't he doesn't end up on the forefront of my list. Uh, Rizzo, uh, I get some. I've gotten some shares of Rizzo. Um, he just is just a, a decent quality player, and he could end up back in New York. I think and if he does, I think that's a good situation for him. Belt is perennially undervalued. And then a name I like out of this list for sure is Nate Lowe. And I know there's a lot of people who make a big deal out of there. There are some flaws. Like he has not produced well against high velocity in the past. Also, his barrels and his powerful contact tends to be the opposite direct, opposite field, which is on not ideal. But I see him a little bit like, and I'm going to say Vlad Guerrero here, but don't. I'm not saying he's like Vlad Guerrero and he could be Vlad Guerrero now. What I'm saying is I think he could be one fix away. You know what I mean? It's like when you take a guy and you say, hey, all your barrels are the opposite field. If you just pull those barrels, you'd be better. Like, that's kind of what I'm seeing with Lowe. It seems harder to hit opposite field barrels than to hit pull side barrels. I think so. I mean, it's more important to know how to pull barrels, but it is harder to hit opposite field barrels so you're kind of like hey you're doing the hard thing now we need you to do the thing that everybody every power hitter in baseball needs to learn how to do um and yeah i mean he could maybe not do it but i also see them just playing him so his projection is for a nine dollar player uh right at the level of belt actually equal to mancini but available 50 picks later uh, mancini's by the bat is a 11 a 10 50 you know lowest nine i mean you know, 50 picks later. So, you know, if I get into, if I get into trouble and Rizzo's gone, I'm waiting for, for low. What are you doing with Alex Kirilov? I do like him. I do like him. And, you know, he goes right by Rizzo and the, the, the needle is towards, 
uh, the positive end in terms of, you know, he gets that wrist together. That's a little bit uh, concerning. Um, and then he, you know, puts more than 494 plate appearances up because he's playing every day because I think that's what the Twins want. Um, but the projection as it stands is for, you know, $7 compared to Rizzo's 11 So, and they go kind of near each other. So that's a little bit interesting. You'd have to really, in your mind, be like, I see Kirloff as a 600 plate appearance guy. Because if you do that, then you can make him an $11 guy just like Rizzo. Yeah, I'm very intrigued. And I think similar to what I said about Hoskins, and maybe even more important for Kirilov as a younger player too, I just want to make sure his wrist is good to go. I wish he'd had the season he had without the injury. Because then I could be like, you know, then I could look and be like, hey, 13% barrel rate, I like that. I like the, you know, the the max EV and the average EV were good. Uh, you know, he didn't strike out too much. You know, there's a lot here to say, hey, this is a 24-year-old guy who debuted, you know, hit the ball hard. I just, I wish he hadn't hurt himself. The player that I'm constantly wrong about at first base is Yuli Gurriel. And <laughs> I don't, I don't see anyone taking away his playing time at a glance. I mean, they have to bring in someone else, I think, for that to happen. He's 37 now. He turns 38 in June. And... You know, it's not typical first base power there, but late batting average. If you have to make up ground in batting average for some reason, and you want to get runs and RBIs and slightly below average power output, I, I think that's what Gurriel has brought to the table for most of his career. That 31 home run season in 2019, okay, that's an outlier. <laughs> Clearly, that's not coming <laughs> yeah. back. Uh, but do we get one more year that looks pretty similar to what he's done in, in 2021 and even going back to, I would say, 2018? Well, this is fascinating, too, because it, it, it covolts into our conversation the other day about replacement level and what you would do when someone is hurt. Um, and so we've got Kirilov, who's going 175 by ADP. you got Guriel, who's going 199. So, uh, But Guriel is projected for 60 more plate appearances for 552 compared to Kirilov's 490. So... Uh, Guriel with more playing time is projected to be worth less, right? So I, I know I I said the other day that it was Jordan and Finland, but uh, I got that wrong. Alexander Chase has some pieces at Pitcher List about um, what you do with playing time and replacement level, and um, you know I think it's solid to think, you know, if Kirilov is hurt early on. Uh, you know, still need some recovery or something or this or that. I can go get a first baseman off the wire and that guy will be worth some some amount. And so therefore, um, I'd rather take Kirloff who will be better when he's in. I think there's a, a good argument to be made for that. Now, that's not always the case considering what how deep your league is, you know, what the situation is, how he got hurt, how he's missing time. But I do think that Yuli Gariel is more interesting in deeper leagues, in draft and holds, in places where playing time is everything, you know, and the fact that he's just going to go out there and play, boom, set and forget. It's boring, but it's good. That's good. But if you're in sort of a TGFBI format where you have, uh, or you're in a, like if you're in a 12 team or even a 15 team league where you can make pickups whenever you want and there's, you know, there's daily pickups and stuff like that, then I'd rather have Kirilov. You know, even with the 20 pick difference. Right. Because the gap between Guriel and some of the available first base and corner options on the wire should be pretty small given the categories in which he falls short. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, last tier here, the 200 to 300 range overall players. A couple of these names came up a little earlier. Bobby Dahlbeck, Brandon Belt, Frank Schwindel, uh, Nate Lowe, Luke Voigt, Miguel Sano, Spencer Torkelson, Lamont Wade Jr., Jesus Aguilar, and Rowdy Telez round out this group. We saw the... Come on, man, Rowdy! Well, we saw the K-rate improve from... Bobby Dalback late in the year, the raw power is off the charts. If they don't bring in someone to push him for playing time, it's more of the internal Tristan Cassis development that I think he has to worry about. So uh, do you see enough there in that late season improvement from Dalback to want to take a shot on him late? Our guy, Jason Collette, uh, is a big fan of Bobby Dalback um, and has been banging the drum for him. I like when I see... You know, you do these uh, rolling graphs at uh, fan graphs. You can do these 15-game rolling graphs. What I like to see is that Dahlbeck's uh, reach rate uh, got better over the course of the season. And yeah, uh, he was striking out at a, a below 20% clip for a little bit there. And for the sort of last, I'd say, 30 games of the season, he was striking out below 30%, which is huge for him. Because if he maintains even a 26, 27% strikeout rate next year, um, I think he will explode. Um, you know, he's he's got really, really good batted ball quality. 20% barrels uh, over his career so far. That's ridiculous. It's really high. It's really, really high. So, I mean, if he can get it under 30%, like, he would have a huge, huge breakout. And in fact... You know, he's the kind of guy where it is almost worth protecting your batting average early so that you can put him in as your CI and say, man, I just got a, a shot at like, you know, 35, 40 homers really late in this draft. And the reason I did it is because I took Vlad Guerrero early or whatever it was, you know. So uh, I, I really liked Albeck. Um, the, the thing that makes me a little bit worried is that if he's starting for you, you are also starting all that downside risk that he strikes out 35% of the time and is more Chris Carter uh, than you want. Yeah, that's so. that's a concern with this profile, but the Red Sox were a top-five team and run scored last year. So the the setup, aside from the raw power, the, the path for him to do a lot of damage in all the counting stats is right there. So I think it really depends on, on the amount of, of risk you've taken to that point. So he's certainly in the could-do-it, and don't ha- don't have to. It's not like a go get him in all twelve leagues you play in this year. But it's a yes in the right circumstances. This makes sense because there was enough there late last year. There 
has been a recent development also that we mentioned. The NLDH at the top of the show um, creates more mitigation strategies for Bobby Dalbeck. The only problem is that it doesn't usually create batting average guys. If you think about it, a lot of these new uh, DHs that are created probably aren't going to be uh, a benefit in batting average. I suppose, uh, you know, a Seth Beer Bobby Dalbeck combination uh, could work pretty well at this point you know well yeah there's a fair amount of risk but you you've now you've got two exciting young players one uh with a better batting average than the other and both maybe more likely to play today than they were yesterday for at least beers i guess the those waiver replacements you're going to be picking from yeah players who are playing more because of the dh being added to the nl if you're only looking for a 235 or 240 average from dahlbeck to begin with that's Probably. Right, I guess you're only trying to replace a 235. Yeah, yeah. you're not trying to replace a 270 or 280 guy with a 240 guy. Like that's that to me sort of works. So I'm I'm on board. You know, Keston Hero was a, a name that we put forth as benefiting from the NLDH, and this 100 he does, and he has been working on a swing. But it also makes Rowdy Telez a more surefied thing, right? Like, just to have the DH there, you look at Rowdy Telez's projection, he's projected to be replacement level in a 15-team league, but that's at 421 plate appearances. I kind of take the over on that now that there's a DH. You know, yes, Keston Hero might be a big part of that, but it also just means that Rowdy Rowdy has some chance to play at DH. And some of those days when he wouldn't be in because of his defense, he can now be in uh, because of his bat. So uh, I think this makes Rowdy, uh, uh, to me, Rowdy is not as interesting as Bobby Dalbeck, but he's kind of like my Bobby Dalbeck in a way <laughs> where it's like, uh, I love the batted ball quality. Uh, the strikeout rate is way better than Bobby Dalbeck's. And uh, here, here's a guy who's combining basically a 12% barrel rate with a 20% strikeout rate, which is something I kind of love uh, to have hand in hand. Um, with the DH, maybe he's closer to an everyday player and all those projections are light on his plate appearances. Chasing cheap power, Bobby Dahlbeck or Miguel Sano? I'm going to take Dahlbeck because Sano has demonstrated that he is what D- Bobby Dahlbeck was, right? Yeah, we're almost 2,800 plate appearances into Miguel Sano holding a, a 36.5% career K rate. Right, exactly. So, so, and that's, I think that's actually kind of an argument for Bobby Dalbeck too, which is just like, hey, worst case scenario is Sano. And best case scenario, he, who's a, who's a guy who's really lopped, uh, oh, like, um, like an Alonzo or Olsen, you know, and not, maybe not on the same level, but maybe Dalbeck could, if he cut like five or 6% off his strikeout rate like those guys did, then, then he's gonna, he's gonna join that top 10, 15 in, in, in first base next year. Yeah, my memory stinks, so I'm trying to think of sluggers that had 33-plus percent K rates. Stanton. That got them down to the 25 range, and we were like, yeah. Stanton. Stanton's one. Stanton's a big one that I always remember because, you know, your 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 strikeout rate does improve until you're 26, 27. Thing is, Dominic is 26 already, so Stanton kind of entered the league younger. Yeah, Stanton entered the league as a 20-year-old, so I think that's a, yeah. that's a tougher tougher sell for me. The other players in this group, so just kind of real quick, in in out on these guys. Frank Schwindel, any any excitement there? I love the strikeout rate, man. I think he's uh, he's fine. I think that they're going to play him. I don't think they're going to sign Rizzo, and if they don't, they do. Like now we have an LDH. I think 
Schwindel is an oatmeal for me. You know, I was happy to put him behind uh, behind uh, Jared Walsh in my in my draft and hold. Okay, how about Luke Voigt? I there's a chance that he's not in New York, and that might affect his power output. I mean, everybody wants to put him in a Matt Olson trade, um, and that would be not the greatest outcome for him. But also, he would mean more playing time. I don't necessarily want to depend on Void. I'd love for him to be my util in kind of a 15 or 12 team. Like, I don't know, 12 team. In a 15 team util, I don't really want him as my CI because then I f- if I had him as my CI, I feel like I would need to take another guy that was CI eligible. Let's go to Spencer Torkelson. It's just not my style to to pick a guy who hasn't played yet. Um, I know he's he's near the top there and but I could just see Detroit playing games with him so I pick Torgelson and then I have in my first FAB I still have to go find a, a corner infielder yeah I think when you draft him you got to make sure you've got the first couple of weeks covered just so you're not taking any early zeros there uh we mentioned Telez talked about Wade in the last episode last one Jesus Aguilar from this group a lot safer now today you know he's just not showing that many signs of of slowing down either like relative to what he's done the last couple of years like that that blip the year he was traded to the Rays I, I'm I'm more convinced now that he's you know still pretty stable but the the wild thing with him look at the gap between his RBIs and his runs he drove in 93 runs last year he scored 49 runs that is brutal he's like the one good bat on the team <laughs> no they've, they've got a couple others but yeah i mean that's that's what happens is when no one's driving you in because the, the you've got a really you've got a really skinny lineup however that lineup is improving right you know just getting going out and getting um who do they get avi the, uh, huh? garcia yeah avi garcia and i i feel like they're not done too can't i be. feel like they'll spend some money when they come back so uh, all these things, you know, and his projection as, as it is, is better than all the rest that you've mentioned. Um, so I'm, I'm in. And I, and I think I wouldn't be as worried. The thing about him is that I wouldn't be as worried about what do I do week one, right? As I would be with, he's a safer pick. You know, it's kind of, you know, him and Schwindel are like, okay, he'll be in there from day one. He may not have the upside of a low or, uh, or Dahlbeck or, or even Telez. Uh, but he'll be in there from day one. He'll probably accumulate all year. So I, I like Aguilar. Uh, we mentioned some names that um, uh, were sort of boosted by this news today that would become uh, slightly better, uh, quote-unquote, sleepers. Uh, maybe Tsutsugo, mm-hmm. uh, Darren Ruff, Keston Hura, Seth Beer, depending on the, the health of the shoulder. And health of the shoulder is much more worrisome than health of the abdominal, uh, I think, with Hoskins, you know? Uh, shoulder can have a big deal uh, year over year. I guess Lewin Diaz has a shot now in Miami and Matt Beatty, maybe? I don't know what I don't know what's happening in, in L.A., but Matt Beatty is first base eligible and may get a lot more playing time now. Yeah, I just I worry with Beatty that he's just not going to unlock more game power. I wonder if Edwin Diaz ends up, or not Edwin Diaz, Edwin Rios ends up being the player that uh, picks up oh, that extra right. slack now that he's probably healthy again. So, especially since Beatty has some defensive abilities, whereas Rios has very few, and so therefore maybe goes right into the DH position. I I would like to put out my apologies right now for the Padres because they can barely put together the bottom of the lineup 
uh, adding another position that they have to man with zero money in the coffers is going to have to be some sort of magic trick. Although AJ Preller does sometimes pull pull up the magic tricks, if there's some way that he can replace Hosmer with Olsen and not give up Hassel, I will <laughs> I will doff my cap to him, sir. Or he'll just play Hosmer because he has to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, you know, we never we didn't even discuss him. But Hosmer, you know, there are people that are are fans of Hosmer's because he's, you know, in the lineup every day. And I did mention that uh, in Zip's playing time projections, Damson Dvorsky has a, a, a thing about contract and what's happened in the past and that there is maybe a chance that Hosmer gets that sort of Albert Pujols treatment where he gets playing time because they're paying him and he's been there and everyone knows he's bad, but they don't have anything else to do. Uh, that's always tr- possible, but I w- I see every year, uh, you know, with Hosmer, more and more risk that they just find a way to not play him. You know, like just more and more, there's this chance that Jake Cronenworth takes more, at, you know, time at first base, and that you know Jerkson Profar takes time at first base, and even with the DH in there, you could find a reason to sit him against lefties. So, you know. Last year, if you bought him for runs in RBI, you got 53 runs and 65 RBI, and I probably weren't healthy with that. It's just so strange because there, there's some underlying things that he does that we typically would like. He doesn't strike out that much. He does make mm-hmm. a decent amount of hard contact. It's just the constant problem of hitting the ball into the ground. That has been there really for his entire career. The only exception was the shortened 2020 season. He got the ground ball rate down to 46.2%. It was only 38 games that he played that year too, but he popped nine homers. He had a 287, 333, 517 line in that slice of 2020, but that's... We can dream. Yeah, it's just like, is he still one adjustment away from being a competent filler for us, especially with that extra playing time added in? Like I... In super deep leagues, I, I think he's kind of a bargain, which is uh, the faintest of praise that I can I can offer for, for Eric Hosmer. <laughs> Did I miss anybody off of the uh, DH Jeff charts? Uh, Hero, where where are you hearing about Hero's new swing? You mentioned that it was kind of interesting. Yeah, Will Salmon wrote about it. It's the hitting coach he's worked with his whole, pretty much his whole life. They're trying to calm down the the leg kick. And oh, because he's got he's got a really complicated uh he's got a tap you know, and a load. kick, which is yeah. a lot. So they're trying to clean that up. I it's just more of a look what he did with that swing, with the swing and miss in his game, with those flaws. Really nice barrel rates, yeah. So plenty of opportunity for him if he if he shows that that adjustment works and he's free right now, which is really, really that, nice. How about that? If you baked into your team that you're gonna take Dalbeck Hero on the bench is kind of a fun idea. Do you do that in... They're kind of similar, right? <laughs> like it's bad strikeout rates, really good barrel rates. Yeah, one of them. One of them should click. Right? <laughs> you know, just like roll in the dice. Uh, well, I don't want to give up on Keston Hero, but I know I have to lower the expectations. It's the only, the only way to go. The other names that I think you threw out there before the show, I don't know if you mentioned them here, Dominic Smith. I think his situation is a lot better with the universal DH, they've got a lot of depth in New York, so there's no guarantee that he would pick up all the playing time. But just in leagues where he might have been fringy previously, that gives him a nudge of at least probably 100 or so plate appearances, maybe more. Mike Moustakis, 
Not a first base oh, eligible player. That's that's our big winner. The weird, that, he's our big big winner, dude. But, they had nowhere to play him. Right, because we were thinking about possible you know corner guys really at the end of this episode. I think he becomes a, a lot more corner relevant. So keep that in mind. And then and he has he has totally fine projections. Two fifty with twenty one homers, and you know maybe there's a bit of a health resurgence, and maybe the four hundred and forty plate appearances is low because he's like pretty much their everyday DH. Yeah, yeah, he's been battling the health woes since uh, the 2020 good season. way to keep him healthy is, is play him in there i think he's probably the biggest winner what about juan yapez in st louis yes and the only the only but i have is that i just uh, trained alongside lars newt bar um up in driveline and uh newt bar sentence yeah He's uh he uh he looks good with his shirt off. Uh Lars Newtbar, um he also added eight miles per hour to his swing speed. It's a lot using using weighted bats. And uh, you know, that he's now able to hit the ball over hundred and ten. Uh I saw him do it a couple times in training. And so uh if you got somebody like that. Uh, Yepes makes good contact. He's he's you know really up to power recently, so he's got you know some things going for him too. But um, Newbar has played in the big leagues, right? So I think if you were conservatively putting together this Cardinals team next year, you wouldn't necessarily uh, feel like you had to to play Juan Yepes in the major leagues. But you could because you've got but the you universal could. DH. <laughs> and you could find uh, room for Yepes and Nubar, I think. Nubar would be the fourth outfielder, and Yepes would be your fifth infielder, sixth infielder. Yeah. Might be a little more of a split uh, with the overall roles than we would like for a few of those guys in St. Louis, but opportunity certainly there. I mean, Yepes had a 154 WRC plus at AAA last year as a 23-year-old. tear up that fall league? I don't have the stats in front of me. It's just really hard to find those stats. Yeah, the the line at Memphis was 289, 382, 589 with a 19.3% K rate and an 11.8% walk rate. And look, I, I know we have to... Sexy time. We have to be careful with the AAA numbers from last year, not because of the, the rabbit ball from a couple of years ago, but because of all the injuries we had at the big league level the quality of the pitching at AAA mm, was probably down a little bit. So it's still, I mean, relative to the rest of the league, if, if you're if you're rolling up a 154 WRC plus, you are uh, doing some things right. So he'd be another deep, deep sleeper that you uh, want to keep an eye out for. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Before we go, if you've got questions for a future episode, you can drop those to us via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com, or drop them in as a comment under this video on YouTube. And if you didn't see it already, the latest episode that we recorded with Britt, the 3-0 show, is on the YouTube page, but it's also in the Athletic Baseball Show feed. That's where the audio from those shows will go each and every week, so be sure to check that out if you haven't done that already. Get a subscription to The Athletic at 33% off of the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Is next week pitcher week, you know? Next week is pitcher week. Friday, a uh, little sneak preview with some uh, September stuff plus surgers. 
Uh, and then next week, I had to do that little bit of work because someone said, you know, what about Garrett Cole after Sticky Stuff? And in fact, Garrett Cole had uh, higher Stuff Plus after July 1 than we did before. So I did find some some players that surged and some that fell back after July 1st. I wanted to do that research as the last bit of research for uh, pitching pitching week. So we will have pitching ranks next week. Yeah, at least two episodes of the pod might be more than two, depending on how things break. Hard to get all the pitchers in into two episodes. Plus, we got to get to relievers it at some point. It is actually kind of unfair if you think about it. How many shows do we do for other positions? And then we're just going to fit pitchers into two? Well, that's why it's like outfielders. I was like, is it? three is like the outfielders get a whole week too so we're you know yeah. <laughs> we're trying to get through as many players as we can in, the, in a reasonable number of episodes but if it takes extra episodes you know we'll have those but that is going to do it for this episode of rates and barrels we are back with you on monday thanks for listening Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.